Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. Fun show today. We have Kat Abugazale. We're going to talk to her in a few minutes. But first, I want to thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, and we'll read a few next time. All right, let's get to our two big things. But first... They were incredible. When I went to the courthouse, which is also a prison, in a sense, uh, they signed me in. And I'll tell you, people were crying. People that work there, professionally work there, that have no problems putting in murderers and they see everybody. It's tough, tough place. And they were crying. They were actually crying. They said, I'm sorry. No, Mr. Trump. (laughs) Mr. Trump. Yeah, you know why they were crying? Because it took so fucking long for them to see you get there and be arrested. That's why they were crying. (laughs) But if by checking in, as he said, meaning while they were fingerprinting him and arresting him and telling him he's under arrest for 34 felonies. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mr. Trump. Your your cell won't be ready till one o'clock. It's being cleaned. <laughs> but I have VIP status. Oh, my God. Early check-in. What is, they, they, yeah, they were all crying. Yes, they were all crying. It's so sad, Mr. Trump. I'm sorry I have to DNA swab you. <laughs> we have to check. We have to do a rectal exam. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Somebody would be sorry if they did that. I mean, nothing he says is true. And this is just proof positive because we know Michael Isikoff, who's a fantastic reporter, got some great background information on this. And nobody was crying. Absolutely nobody was crying. And the only issue they had is apparently his little fingers were very dry and they had to... (laughs) He had to lubricate oh, them. God. You just, I, you just gave me the best diet for today because I've lost my appetite. <laughs> they, apparently, they were too dry to get a good fingerprint, so they had oh. to lubricate them, and that made the fingerprints better. Well, he had a he had a a, a bad week, I'd say. Uh, let's go through it real quick. On Tuesday, he had the uh, Tucker Carlson interview on Fox, where like if you haven't thought he's insane, that hopefully put the nail in the coffin for you. On Wednesday, Manhattan DA Alan Bragg basically said, fuck you to Jim Jordan and the GOP and uh, filed a lawsuit to block their uh, House inquiry into his investigation. On Thursday, New York State Attorney General Letitia James had Trump sit with her for, what, eight hours in a deposition regarding her $250 million civil case against him. On Thursday, special counsel Jack Smith We learned that he is now focusing a big part of his investigation on the fundraising grift. All of the money grifting emails between the election and January 20th when Trump left office. The obvious theft of give me money for this, but I'm going to use it for that. Like it's about time we're learning that and that that could be big, all those stolen election claims. You know, this is wire fraud. This is not kid stuff. And this is also how Steve Bannon got arrested by D.A. Bragg was the same exact charge. He was saying that he's building a wall and he's taking the money for something else. Yeah. No, it's it's illegal to make false representations uh, in the mail, in the mail to to swindle people out of their money. Also on Thursday, see Court of Appeals in the E.G. Carroll rape and defamation case refused to decide, this is really interesting, refused to decide whether Trump was doing presidential work 
when he denied raping her, which basically, in effect, ca called her a liar. So that's where you get the defamation. And so he, he left, the judge left that unresolved, which is kind of bizarre. It doesn't really impact the trial that's going to start on the 25th. That's the battery charge. So he's facing a shitload of trouble there as well. And then another thing that was a little complicated is that E. Jean Carroll was on record as in a former deposition saying that nobody was funding her, her, her uh, case. And we learned that LinkedIn co-founder Reed Hoffman is in fact backing her. So there was a judge who, um, although he denied Trump's request to move his trial date over this so he can take more discovery of her, he did grant an extra hour for deposition of E. Jean Carroll. But he did say, quote, the, that the funding of her case, quote, has nothing to do, directly do with the ultimate merits of the case, but might prove relevant to the question of her credibility, the plaintiff's credibility. Another really interesting thing, and this is something I, I've been harping on, because I think Weisselberg, the former CFO of Trump Org, that sucker's going to flip. He's due to get out next week. He served five months, and he is... The rumor has it is that Alvin Bragg and the prosecutors in New York are pressuring him to give them uh, incriminating testimony about Trump in the hush money and fraud cases, and that this guy is looking at spending the rest of his life potentially in prison, and that ultimately this pressure is going to cause him to flip, and that could be that could be the linchpin in all of this. I, I'm going to have to disagree. I don't think he's going to flip. I think he is dedicated to Trump in ways that we can't totally foresee, and he he will be willing to do the time. Unfortunately, I'm, I I hope he flips, but I don't see it. Sammy the Bull Gravano. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, people flip, but he was I, he was as loyal as you can get to the yeah. big guy. Well, I hear from a friend that his wife is very nice, but he's awful. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to. So maybe do Trump's books. You've got yeah. to be a pretty awful human being. That's what I hear. The other thing, and I keep saying this too, is that I, I think not just Weisselberg, but where this investigation, overall investigation is going to go against Trump is Pence. I, I think we're, we're all so trained to see what we see and then formulate our own opinions and shape our own narratives and throw in some conventional wisdom and say, ah, this is what's going to happen or this is what's not going to happen. But yet time after time after time after time, we sit back and we go, oh, shit, didn't see that coming. And I'm telling you, there's something going to go on here with Mike Pence, coupled with people like Weisselberg, that no one's really been factoring in. Weisselberg, obviously, they have this week, as I just mentioned. But that there are people that are going to play a very pivotal role in bringing Trump down. Yeah, and, think, and things that we're not necessarily seeing because we don't, the Justice Department, the DA's office, they don't telegraph what they're doing. They don't give out all the evidence. They don't, we don't know what they have and where they're going. I thought it was interesting when we had Paul Begala on last week and he said that Pence wouldn't lie, that he was incapable of lying on the stand. I hope that's true. Yeah, look, just ask yourself logically, if, if it was now virtually impossible for Donald Trump to run and be nominated. If for some re reason he was out of the picture. Well, wait, what? Well, what hang we, on. <laughs> hang on. And you are a Republican. I'm not talking about a MAGA Republican. I'm talking about all the people that we know, many of whom we've had on this, on this show, all those moderate Republicans and independents. Who would their dream candidate be? 
I don't well, think it's Mike Pence. <laughs> not Mike Pence. It's Jen, I have to take serious. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm offended by that, Jen. But Mr. Pence, what are the American people? Think? The American people like the American people because the American people, unlike other people, are American people. No, seriously, he, he's got the faith thing. He is, uh, he is a guy that, to your point, you know, is, has been relatively honest and and trustworthy in the Trump scale, he's incredibly honest. He lacks yeah. he lacks the that special sauce, that charisma thing. <laughs> you mean any charisma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I guess he's not terribly charismatic. But <laughs> neither are the other ones. Who's charismatic? Uh, uh, Nikki Wait, Haley. Are you saying Mike Pompeo isn't charismatic? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. All right. So the other big thing. Uh, the Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas. I mean, now we learn that that not only did Harlan Crow whisk him around the world on his jets and yachts and all that, but that he bought his mother's house, which he and his mother and and the family of his deceased brother to uh, own uh, collectively, and never disclosed this. And there are laws that you have to disclose, I think, real estate or any transaction over a thousand dollars. And this was a hundred and thirty thousand dollars. And he renovated the house. Yeah. Well, and then Harlan Crow was like, well, you know, I was intending to make this like a museum someday. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, Harlan, we don't give a fuck what you were intending to do. OK, you're not the issue here. The issue is Mr. Scotus, who didn't fucking disclose what he's legally required to disclose. It's just like Trump. There are no consequences. Right. Justice Roberts believes that well enough should be left alone at all times. Then why would you bother? You know, there aren't going to be any consequences. Yeah. And not a peep from Roberts. I mean, Roberts at one point could have gone down as one of the better chief justices and his legacy. He has just literally watched, you know, the 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 hardcore, you know, Clarence Thomas's, the Kavanaugh's, the. Gorsuch's, the Alito's, like all these people have just turned that court and the Republican Party has turned that court into a cesspool and he does not seem to care, which is really bizarre. No, but he does care about the leaker, apparently. He did a big investigation about the leaker of the court and nothing nothing ever happened yeah. anyway. But just going back to the corruption of Thomas, not only did Crow buy his mother's house, his 97-year-old mother's house, he bought the house next door and tore it down because apparently they were noisy neighbors. Yeah, well, I think it was two lots, two empty lots that were part of this deal, too. And, you know, not not, not just Roberts, but crickets from t- leading Republicans, like nothing. Imagine, I mean, Hunter Biden's laptop, which, I mean, all we know now, if you ever listen to Sean Hannity, all you ever hear is Hunter Biden had a lot laptop. We don't know what's in it, but the scandal is that he had a laptop. That's all we know is that he owned a laptop. Here we have such egregious, blatant, shameless corruption over and over and over again. And these people don't say a word. Yeah, but- the fact that you have Jim Jordan, you know, wanting to investigate brag. The same people that won't say a word about Clarence Thomas are the ones that won't say a word about Trump who tried to overthrow the government. Yeah, exactly. So it's the, the hypocrisy is unbelievable. All right. So let's uh, let's get to our winners and losers this week. My winner is National Public Radio for not putting up with Elon's bullshit and uh, and suspending their 50 plus Twitter accounts. And I hope other media outlets follow. And my loser is the Pentagon for letting Jack Douglas Tushira, 
a 21-year-old National Guard airman barely out of high school, have access to some of the country's most sensitive classified information. It's insane. Mm. My winner, U.S. senators. Five senators on Wednesday asked the Justice Department to investigate whether the civil rights of Mr. Jones and Mr. Pearson or their Tennessee constituents have been violated. My loser, Florida. Florida legislature passed six-week abortion ban, which would be among the most restrictive in the country. My winner, Tennessee State Reps Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, the Justins, who in a colossal backfire were reinstated by the Nashville Metropolitan Council after being expelled last week by the blatantly racist state legislature's Republican supermajority. My loser, Tennessee Republicans, who made rock stars out of the Tennessee Three and galvanized the state's Gen Z electorate to vote like hell against them in 24. That brings us to the weekly rant. I want to talk about the GOP's continued and intensifying war on women and reproductive rights. Republican men are obsessed with the uterus, obsessed with the vagina. Now, don't get me wrong. As a red-blooded, heterosexual American male, I've always had a particular fondness for the vag myself. But the difference is, I appreciate it, I respect it, and I know it does not belong to me. I know that I have no business being in it or anywhere in its general vicinity unless I'm invited to do so. But that's not how Republican men think or what they feel. Republican men actually think they own the vagina, every vagina, and therefore they're hell-bent on controlling its every move. What goes in, what goes out, what grows in the uterus, and what doesn't. And their latest attack on women's reproductive rights occurred just yesterday in Florida. Governor Ron, I never met a vagina I didn't want to control, DeSantis, at 11 p.m. last night, under the cloak of darkness and relative secrecy, signed a bill which will ban abortions after six weeks. Most women don't even know they're pregnant within that period. This is a draconian measure straight out of The Handmaid's Tale. The Republican Party spent 50 years trying to overturn Roe v. Wade until they finally did. Thanks, ironically, to Donald Trump, the man who's likely paid for more abortions than anyone in history. Then it was the abortion pill and interstate travel under attack. They just can't stop, no matter the consequences. Perhaps the silver lining in all of this, the collateral damage, if you will, is that the GOP is hugely out of step with an overwhelming majority of Americans who want conservatives out of their vaginas and uteruses. We've seen huge pro-choice victories in Kansas last year and more recently in Wisconsin, and I suspect the GOP will keep losing as Democratic candidates, like my congressman Pat Ryan did last fall, make abortion rights their central and winning campaign message in 24. All right, let's bring out Kat Abugazale. She is a senior video producer at Media Matters, and she graduated from George Washington University in 2020. Kat, welcome into the back room. Thanks for having me. So before we get into all the amazing stuff you do, work-wise, I uh, want to talk a little bit about you. So our listeners can get to know who you are. You're 23? I'm 24 now. 24. I think I have mayonnaise in my fridge that's older than that. And I don't mean that in a negative way, because I think you're amazing, you're smart and funny and witty and biting and righteously indignant and engaged and engaging. So, which is not, I think, a lot of 24-year-olds today. So I, I, I totally commend you and it is 
great to have you on with us today. I want to ask you about your name, Ab- Abu Ghazala Leigh? Abu Ghazale. Abu Ghazale. Where, what is the origin of that? It's Palestinian. So my father is an immigrant, and I'm pretty much good with any pronunciation as long as it's a good faith attempt. Uh huh. But it does make it does answer the question of why Abu or Abu. Yeah, it means father in Arabic, and so some people are always like, "Why do you abbreviate it to that?" And I'm like, "Because no one wants to say Abu Ghazale. It's scary." Do so. most do most people get it right, or do most people get it wrong? Oh, most people get it wrong. People that speak Italian or Arabic usually get it right. The Italian one was surprising, but they're pretty good at it in Spanish too. So it has to have like a like almost like a, a, a melodic like Abu Ghazale. Abu Ghazale. Abu Ghazale. Yeah. There we go. There's the Italian. You did it much better than me. So you are known for awesome TikTok videos and similar content on Twitter. You are a lefty. I'll call you a lefty. I'm a lefty. You're a lefty. Uh, and I don't mean throwing. I mean <laughs> politics. And you are specifically known for like mocking Republicans and the Republican Party specifically. Fox, Tucker Carlson and those guys, very deservingly so. Uh, but that's not the the environment you grew up in, like that kind of space. No. <laughs> No, not at all. I grew up in Texas, which, you know, we all know Texas. And my grandmother was very active in the GOP. She, I, when she died in 2020, I inherited her mink coat that she wore to Nixon's inauguration, which is like a little fun fact when I go out mm-hmm. in DC in the winter. And uh, it was like a big part of our lives. I mean, my parents were more moderate and like my mother has, we've had this transformation together, my mother and I. But I mean, if you grow up in Texas, that's usually what's expected. And I was always interested in politics since I was super little and I loved listening to my grandmother talk about it. And so I just kind of adopted the same things as many kids do. Mm -hmm. And so your mom has shifted her political leanings? Yeah, yeah. Uh, She and I have just kind of grown together and experienced all these things. I moved to Tucson halfway through high school. And in Dallas, everything is kind of like sequestered by you know income or where you grew up and my mm-hmm. family on my mom's side is all from dallas and they were all like in the same neighborhood and then i moved to tucson and i was exposed to like actual diversity and that hadn't been something i had experienced before and it was a complete shift in my worldview because before if you're a conservative in dallas you can just say oh well you know the bootstrap myth and things are doing going great for me and just pretend that's the same for everyone else And it wasn't. It was a big shift in my life. And seeing friends that are incredibly smart but couldn't go to college even with financial aid because they had to help their family or it just wouldn't cut it. And that really made an impact on my mother and me. Mm -hmm. And and, But your dad is still on the other side, the dark side. Yeah. Ish. He's a big capitalism advocate, last I heard. So is he like in that? Uh, fiscally conservative, socially liberal camp, or not quite the liberal camp yet? I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't talk to them that much. Oh, I have one of those parents, too. So, Yeah, a lot of us do. Yeah, mine probably watches more Tucker Carlson than you do. Is Fox responsible? I know we're going to get into Fox a lot in a minute, but I just wonder, like, what has poisoned the minds of people in the last 20 years? years or so. And I guess, I guess it is Fox. I mean, I guess, but also 
you know, the last 10 years, eight years, whatever you want to say, has radicalized so many people. I have family members that, you know, my mom's side, they're all like conservative. That was like a joke between me and the cousins at like Christmas dinner. Sorry about the ambulances uh, in the background. But that was like a joke. Do you want me to just wait? No, I'm from New York City. So ambul- if I okay. don't hear ambulances, that makes me anxious. <laughs> awesome. But like at Christmas dinner, we'd like joke around if someone annoyed the other and we're like, we're going to tell Mimi that you're a communist. And so I, that's always been like a backtrack to everything. But I have some family members that are just full Q now, like full Q and on. And they studied sciences like they're very well educated. But now everything's about like a pedo cabal. And it's like, what happened to you? How much time are you spending on Facebook? So it's nuts. Are they when you have these like Christmas dinners, do they do they keep a place setting for JFK Jr. just in case he shows up? <laughs> I haven't been back to Dallas for Christmas in um, years, but, you know, probably I would hope so if they care so much about him. So the last time you had like a family dinner, is it like what most people complain about? Like, it's just, can we please not talk about politics? Can we please stay away from the QAnon stuff? Like, is it that bad or? It's like, it's just weird. I remember when Trump first got into office, we were at a wedding and I was talking to my uncle and he was talking about how you can't trust any of the media. And I was going to school to study journalism and international affairs. And so he kept saying, you can't trust media and then spitting out all this misinformation. And I was like, well, what's your source for that? What makes you able to trust that source? And he just got really grumbly and then went to the bathroom and then came back and (laughs) pretended that I didn't say anything. Yeah. You know, logic makes Republicans go to the bathroom a lot. Mm -hmm. My brother once said something to me like, Obama is destroying the world. And I said- how? And he goes, I'm not going to argue with you. And I was like, who's arguing? I'm just asking you to explain this massive thing you just dropped on the planet. The world's gone. There is also DC is raised to the ground. There is nothing here. Yeah. As some guy in a suburb of like Des Moines, there's nothing in DC, nothing. All the cities, you mm-hmm. can't go outside. Yeah. You will be stabbed. I have like 20 stab marks. Yeah, in me my too. In New York just- and San Francisco is the worst. Like, I oh think there God. are actual zombies in San Francisco. There's, there's, That's what I've heard. That's yeah. what I've heard. I heard. I heard it on Jesse Waters. Actually, he was saying he loves saying zombies. He yeah. really does. And yeah. if you can't trust Jesse Waters. Who can you trust? No. And so, okay. So, who is Cat? And it's kind of interesting. I'm going to segue into this question. Do you are you a dog or a cat person? Is Cat a cat person? I am allergic to cats. Like severely allergic to cats. I'm allergic to anything that's like cute and fuzzy. Uh, but dogs less so. And so then I've heard all like the jokes of like, oh, you're loads of cats. But yeah, I like cats. I can't touch them. My throat closes up if I'm there for too long. So when you are not working all the time, what does cat do? Are you like binging Netflix? What do you enjoy doing in your life that, that doesn't involve Tucker Carlson? I appreciate that you asked that because I think a lot of people think that's all I do. And like all of us at my job have very enriching personal lives and like interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you play an instrument? Love, you know, what, what are your hobbies? Yeah. I, I learned how to play guitar during the pandemic. Wow. I'm trying to visit every museum in DC this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone through like 10 because it's been cold. It's been hard to get places. I watch a lot of anime. I read sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, deep cleaning my apartment is very fun. I enjoy doing that. So in guitar, I just started taking guitar lessons. I play the drums. 
but I just started Ooh. taking uh, guitar lessons. How's that Best. going? Not well, because as you know, when you play a guitar, you have two hands, you have 10 fingers, and they're all doing very weird things. And some people's hands, you know, the dexterity is different. I can play the drums and have two arms and two feet doing something different, but I can't, it's hard to, to translate that to guitar. It's just basically an excuse to like sit around my apartment and sing. And so I don't like do anything super difficult. I have really small hands, so it's hard to reach like very far apart chords. Like it's physically impossible. Right. But it's a nice little thing to do that's relaxing and fun. You didn't play at all. Yeah, as yeah. A I kid bought this or... crappy thirty dollars oh, okay. three quarters guitar on Amazon. Wow. Um, I just graduated college and then just sat in my apartment and built calluses on my left hand and that's realized I could never paint my nails again. Yeah, <laughs> the calluses hurt like hell. And uh, you still. 10 bar? No, no. I stopped doing that after this last Halloween. I have never had customers like that. I don't know what has happened to trigger people, but I was like, there is no money that's worth this. <laughs> Halloween bar crawl is like the most profitable night in DC. And everyone that I worked with, it was like four of us. We were like, that was not worth it. I don't care how much we made. That was not worth it. Just because it, it, it worked or because people started recognizing you and being mean to I you? Got, I got multiple got into multiple physical fights. I hit a physical guy fights. in the balls what? with a bottle that I was pouring from because he went behind the bar and tried to grab me. One guy grabbed a gin bottle from over the bar and threw it at my coworker's head. Jesus. Are you at a Another Trump guy, rally or something? Was this at a Trump rally? No, it was nuts. I have never seen cuts. And I've like, you know, I've been a late night bartender in college, like till now, never seen customers like that. I don't know if the pandemic has just altered people's brain chemistry forever, but not worth it. I, yeah, I mean, I don't get it. I, I mean, especially for a woman, I, I, it takes me two seconds to imagine how awful that probably is as a job. But I mean, yeah, but you make a lot of money because men are so stupid. No offense. What? We are not. Is the first time you're hearing? <laughs> men are awesome. No, I'm, I'm firmly in the camp of men are stupid. And if women can try, I say it all the time, if women control the world, it would be a much better place. Men are highly overrated. I have three daughters two granddaughters. I'm so in love with girls and women and how different they are than men and boys and how it's even getting worse, the, the toxic masculinity. And just, it's a very sad place we're living in today with that. And that's something Trump just sort of poured gasoline all yep, over. Absolutely. You know, so what, uh, before we shift into uh, more, more meaty stuff, give, give us your favorite TV shows that you're watching. And I am working my way through One Piece this year. That's also a goal for this year is to catch up on One Piece, which has like several, like more than a thousand episodes. What is a thousand? It's an anime. It's, oh, okay. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. And I just finished Swarm, the Swarm. new show on Amazon Prime. And that's like a satire of Beyonce's fans. And that was fun. Oh, that was interesting. Okay. And, and uh, musically, give me, give me your top five of all time. Musical artist. Top five what? Musical artist. Artist? Yeah. Um, Mac Miller, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. uh, the B-52s. Oh, Loved okay. them since I was a kid. God, this is hard. I'm only saying this because I think that my 13-year-old self would be really happy if I did. I'll just give a shout out to One Direction. Who doesn't love One Direction? Lady Gaga and Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's a great list. So... The thing I want to start off with is woke. What, is, what does that mean to you? And would you say you're woke? 
Because that's a big thing today. Woke. Yeah, every everything is woke. Everything is woke. Um, I mean, woke, they say, you know, there's not a definition. It's like a sense or a feeling. Some of these conservatives try to say that. There's like a definition about it. And it's just recognizing that there are systemic injustices. And like it has a history with the Black community. Like it has an actual definition. I mean, I guess if that's the definition, like, yeah, I'm woke. I just think it's been muddied up so much that it's gotten useless. It's like grooming. Right. Or Soros-backed. Yeah. I will. Uh, I am a Soros-backed woke groomer, according to many. So, yeah, I, I guess I would count myself as all those things. Mm -hmm. Isn't woke just like if you give a shit about other people and their yeah. rights yeah. and what they feel, right, and what they need? That's woke, right? It's like, hey, people should not have to suffer. Like, you shouldn't just have to survive. You should be able to thrive. And then they're like, oh, you're a woke SJW. And it's like, I just want people to not die right? and be happy. Have, no. Have you heard of woke free beer? Have you seen the commercial for that? Oh, my God. It's so stupid. It's <laughs> so stupid. I mean, like they the, have this guy. He back. comes out. He's like this completely quintessential white jockey dude and he's like i drink conservative dads ultra right wing 100 woke free beer. what the no he comes out of the men's beer? restroom at a park right that's, sorry i didn't mean to go right. over you no, but no, that's no. very important yes i left that Walks out. out of a men's restroom in a park holding the beer right like what went on in the men's bathroom that's what we should try to find out that's where all the men are hanging out and then how about boys. kid rocks commercial have you seen that one where uh, he's like probably I, I see kid rock and i just like blur it in my head careful he was almost vice president he's shooting like cases Stop. of bud oh, all, oh my god yes that was uh, all so because yeah. like dylan mulvaney that, that bud like sponsored an ad with a tr tr transgender woman i mean like these people get so fucking triggered by this stuff why do you think it matters so much to them? rented a steamroller to go over like hundreds of cases of Bud Light. That takes so much effort. Why does this matter? I guess it's not much different than than um, like burning Elvis records in the 50s. It's the same ignorance and bigoted mentality. They never change. No matter how the world or the country seems to be changing, they just can't seem to, to change along with it. So you are a Fox News watcher. Your Twitter bio, you say, I watch Tucker Carlson, so you don't have to. You work for Media Matters, and that's a really good organization. They've had a lot of impact with lawsuits against Alex Jones and the Sandy Hook families. And, and how did you get to that specific kind of job? So when I was at GW, I originally, I came to D.C. when I was like 13 on a school trip. And I was like, I want to live there because I loved politics and I loved jur journalism. And so I went to GW and studied international security and journalism. And my focuses in the IA part were like genocide and atrocities and extremism. And by the time I graduated, especially because I graduated right into the pandemic, I was so disillusioned by both of them. I had spent four years in D.C. watching the Trump administration, watching my professors be like, you know, this is not the normal thing. And then teach us the normal instead of adapting. Right. And then same for my journalism classes. And I was seeing, you know, legacy media propping up Trump and just to get some ratings. 
And I was disillusioned with both of them. And I came across the MMFA job listing and it seemed like the perfect mix of the two. Being able to be critical of the most important reporting apparatuses, apparati in the country, and also following a mission that I care about. And your video, your content on social media is yours, right? It's not yes. media matters. But regardless, they are, it's like they're the perfect blend of facts and info and humor and snark and I won't say righteous indignation. I'd rather say chill indignation because you do it, but you do it so gently. And I'm sure it threatens some people, but you don't go on the attack. And I think that's why they resonate with a lot of people and why you resonate with a lot of people because there's so much toxicity in this country today that it's sometimes hard to get your voice out there if you're just hitting hard and you don't do that. But the, the net effect of what you do is that it really does hit hard. You, you get through because of the way you're delivering that. Was that something like took time to find your voice or like a comedian who's finding his persona or the first video was like that? I mean, that's, that's just me. When I write my scripts, it's literally, I sit in my living room and say it all out loud as I'm going and just type out whatever I say. I did debate in high school and middle school. And like, I like arguing. I like making a point. I like changing minds, but I hated the vibe of debate kids. I hated the, you know, I'm right. You're wrong. I'm going to talk really loud. I'm going to talk really fast. And I realized you can win a lot more stuff if you just lighten it up and they also, try to make people laugh. They also wear really bad clothing. Um, debate kids. Sorry. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I said they also debate kids. They also wear really bad clothing. <clears throat> yeah. And that was a, a big thing. I loved I love clothes and I love dressing up and debate boys were very threatened by that. And it's just kind of continued today. And that's why, you know, I'm very feminine and I think that's why a lot of right wingers get really, really mad if I call them dumb because it's a woman and a woman who likes wearing high heels. Yeah. Well, one thing I've learned over the years is that racists hate to be called racist. Dumb people hate to be called dumb. Sexists hate to be called sexist because they don't like to think of themselves that way, but it's their behavior that brings that brings that on. How? So what is your process? Like, are you working till five o'clock in the morning? Because I know you do a lot of watching Tucker at night and then having to put your stuff together. How late into the night do you go with your work? So I actually have narcolepsy, which is like a, a brain condition that makes you really sleepy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have it really well managed after all of these years, but I take sleep very seriously. So I work, my shift is 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. And I try to be in bed reading phone on the other side of my room by 11.15. Wow. Unless there's like a breaking news story and then we have to stay later. And then usually I try to get up at like six or seven and that's when I record my videos or I'll add up to a script. And then I'll take a nap at like two mm -hmm. for like an hour or two. And that's nice. But yeah, it's just about managing the time. I do work in the morning, but that's not really work because it is my personal account. These are my personal views, my videos. And then I do my shifts from four to 11. And what's the main distinction between the content you produce for yourself on social media and the work you're doing for Media Masters? Media Matters. Well, for Media, for media Matters, I'm a researcher. And so we're tracking narratives and we're posting things for posterity. So you can see that Tucker said mm -hmm. this or Hannity said this on this date. You know, we work with our LGBT team, our mm -hmm. gun team, our abortion team. So you can really, it's a great resource. It's one of the 
maybe the largest library for things like this on the internet. And that's the goal of MMFA. And then my videos are just me shitposting, but also talking about things I care about. And so they're separate and I can just kind of have fun with it. But there, there is crossover, fun. like you or like what you're doing at work yeah. sort of feeds into your personal stuff. Yeah, it's things that like I already cared about. And so while I'm watching this, like might as well have some fun with it too. Right. Uh, and I've been able to do other things like the Mike Huckabee Kids Guide. I'm also doing one about mm -hmm. conservative Amazon that's probably dropping next week. Mm -hmm. It's very stupid. And so, yeah, the crossover, it's just kind of natural. Mm -hmm. And are you starting to get recognized by people when you go out and about? Yeah, in really nerdy DC circles, but that's just DC. <laughs> like I went out with a friend who's a Hill staffer and the people at the table were like, oh my God, we love your TikToks. And I was like, where do you work? And all of them were like, the Hill. I was like, okay, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I would, people say a lot of really nice things, but it's all fake internet points. And I just hope that my videos can help. Does anybody, anybody on the right recognize you when you're out? Oh, yes. I have seen someone who recognized me and their face went white. And um, that's yelled at me on Twitter. And then, but I mean, on the street, on the street. Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. We were in the same place. And I just pretended I didn't know him and forced him into like 15 minutes of conversation while he stammered. It was fun. But there aren't a lot of right wing people to like scream at you unless you go to Navy Yard in DC. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I recently went down to the outside the courthouse the day Trump was arrested and I tried to interview a few MAGA people. I tried to pick out the well-dressed ones that looked the most sane. And no matter how many times you hear about them or you see them on TV, until you are talking to them and you're just like, oh my God, I'm talking to a zombie. Like there's nothing yeah. inside. Like they are in a cult and it's kind of crazy. But when you finally get the chance to ask the questions, logical questions. I mean, there's one guy, I said to him, why are you here? And he goes, well, I'm here to support Trump. And I was like, okay. So you don't agree with the arrest and the whole investigation or any of it? Nope. I said, but help me understand one thing that I've been just thinking about for years now. If Trump is right, that means everyone, everyone from Democrats to Republicans like Liz Cheney to the media, the courts, the Justice Department, the FBI, Raffensperger and local county election officials and secretaries of state and all the Republicans who testified in the they're all together in one big conspiracy against this incredibly honest, great man. And they're like, yep, <laughs> you know how crazy that is. Like, it's when you're standing there and you're like, all right, I got to go. I got to go. See ya. No, it's nuts. I don't, like, it's the natural, I think people don't realize, like, it's the natural progression in Republican politics. Like, people are like, oh, things have changed so much since 2016. No, I mean, you had, like, the John Birch Society mm -hmm. and you had Reagan being put in power by evangelicals and, like, you had the post-9-11 just absolute bonkers off the wall stuff. And Trump was, like, the natural progression. The thing I don't get and like I can under I've, I can identify with that because like I, I've had I have watched people I love have those thoughts like I know the theories all that stuff I don't get how you look at Trump and you're like that's the one that is my guy that's it I, I know all of us 
there is a cult for all of us. There is something that can draw any person in. I don't understand how he is that for so many people. It's the craziest how? thing. I've said for like years. He look like a person. <laughs> well, he looks better when you actually Photoshop his head onto Sylvester Stallone's body, which they do all the time. It's like, oh, like that's not his real body. Why not? <laughs> no, cat, it's not. He's actually old and very blubbery and. What? Uh, sorry, I had to drop that on you. But it, I've said that I've said for years, whether it's people like Lindsey Graham or McConnell or any of these formerly semi-reputable, sane people, like you take a guy who is literally a sociopath. He's sadistic. He is uh, corrupt as fuck. He's a traitor. He gets in bed with our enemies. He practically, I mean, he blew Putin on stage in Helsinki. He will not give you one ounce of the loyalty in return that you give him, yet you have thrown your careers and legacies away for him. Why? Why? I cannot. That is the biggest question. Right? Nuts. I mean, I could Nuts. see it for D D Mike Pence or someone else, uh, Huckabee, who, who has your ideals, who, who walks the walk, talks the talk. Donald Trump? It's, it is literally something I think anthropologists and sociologists and psychiatrists are going to be studying for hundreds of years how he became president and how to this day, to this day, the fealty that still exists is mind-numbing. I mean, you listen to speeches from like fascists and you're like, okay, those are like powerful speeches. They're horrible, but like they're powerful and they ping something primal in very scared brains, you know, through history. But then you listen to one of his speeches and he can't even finish a sentence. And then he like talk about his uncle from MIT for like five minutes before saying something nice about Putin and then talking about like how many plaques he has. Like that's not a speech. That's just an old man rambling. Well, I think what, you, you, you just hit the nail on the head. He famously said, I like the ignorant, right? I think when you are like in the middle of nowhere and you're at the backyard barbecue and you're, you know, roasting up whatever it is MAGA people eat at a barbecue, he doesn't threaten you. He's like your uncle, you know, Lenny, who says stupid shit at the backyard barbecue. And hey, he doesn't make you feel stupid. In fact, to the contrary, he makes you feel legit. He makes the dumb racist feel legit. That's his secret. Sauce. That is a great point. That's it, in a nutshell. Yeah. So you focus on Tucker Carlson. You focus only on Tucker? Or are I you... mean, we all like, have our shows. So I usually watch The Five at 5 o'clock, and then Tucker, you know, if someone's out, like, we'll take over other shows. I was on Hannity in 2020 for the 2020 election when I first started the job. Okay. And then uh, switched to Tucker in January 2021. Mm -hmm. So who who's dumber, Sean Hannity or Brian Kilmeade? I gotta say, kill me. I'm sorry. I gotta say, kill me. Like at least Hannity can kind of tell if you're lying to him. Like if I, I, I think kill me doesn't have a brain. <laughs> like there is nothing going on behind his nothing. eyes. Nothing. He's thinking of what what kind of sandwich he's having for lunch. Because some of the dumbest things that like when he's a guest host, I just I want to throw my computer out the window. 
because it's like going to be he's not even a good host. That's the thing is a lot of these people on Fox aren't even charismatic enough to be hosts. Right. They're just weird. Like he's a weird little man. He is. And Sean Hannity is, too. But at least Sean Hannity has his sensei and he has his eclectic blend of martial arts. So and unlike uh, unlike Kilmeade, who doesn't have a brain, Kil, uh, uh, Hannity doesn't have a brain, but he has a very large head. He has so, a giant head. Giant head, so it looks like he probably has a big brain. And he tries I to portray himself. Who... Huh? <laughs> he tries to portray. See, that's also the difference. Like, Kennedy is stupid, but trying to be smart, whereas Kilmeade is stupid, and he's just trying to be stupid. Yeah, he thinks he's smarter than he is, but Hannity also jewels at his desk, and I, like, I respect that. Like, I respect that in a man. Mm -hmm. Who's more evil, Carlson or Jesse Waters? Or, Carlson, or, Laura, or Laura Ingram. Carlson, hands down. Okay. So let's talk about Tuckums a little bit. Do you think his evil stems from the fact that his mommy left him when he was six and said, see ya? I mean, a lot of people have like tried to speculate about this. I can't really tell. And I think, I mean, that has to have an impact on a kid, you know? And uh, maybe she saw something the rest of us didn't. But I mean, either way, that sucks to be like a six-year-old boy and your mom leaves. But he, are, he has so many other issues. His dad was, you know, super homophobic, notoriously. I think he was just raised with this and then realized how much money there is in right-wing grifts and went all in. Where did the crossfire Tucker go? When was the change? What was the change? Why has he become this anti-American, racist, shameless character that he portrays every night? How did that happen? Where was his turn? I mean, have you heard the tapes from Bubba the Love Sponge? No. Oh, they're on our site. Uh, Madeline Peltz broke those a couple of years ago. And it's Carlson on this radio show. And he says some of the most vile things I've heard in my life. He talks about how he would fantasize about like 14-year-old girls together, like experimenting on each other except that his daughter was at that school because they were like talking about this fantasy of his daughter at boarding oh, school. And he's like, I would love that if it weren't my daughter. Like this. I vaguely remember huh? this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he said a lot of racist stuff. He defended the the guy from the documentary, Warren Jeffs was his name, I think. Yeah. The, yeah. Cult leader. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, well, you know, consensual. He's like, it's not the same as just taking someone off the street and raping them and marrying them. Like, you're you're going to take care of that woman for the rest of your life, so it's not the same. Uh, I'm referring to, you know, child marriage. Do, do you, Those do, tapes are really ab abhorrent. Do you do you know what Nambla is? You ever hear that? It, yes. Okay. So a bunch of years ago, I saw an interview with one of the guys who was in Nambla, which is the National Association of Man-Boy Love, Okay. In essence, older guys who like to have sex with little boys. And when he was defending himself, he said, I believe that what a grown man and a 12-year-old boy do together is their business. And it's like to your point about like consent, it's like, no, no, the whole point is a 12-year-old boy can't make that decision for himself. And when you hear them say or Tucker Carlson say those things, it's just, it's sick. They're so diseased. I wanted to ask you, do you think the GOP is just so broken and so beyond repair that they're never ever going to come back? I mean, and, you know, I'm going to reiterate, you know, just for 
clarity's sake, like these are my views. They're not MMFAs. But mm-hmm. I mean, I I think the GOP is doing exactly what Goldwater and his cronies wanted it to do. I think it's all playing according to the plan. And if you're thinking about some moderate GOP, I'm not sure if it ever actually existed at the core of it. Like it, as someone who's I was I mean, you had it a front of it. But you have always had these people in the background wanting to say these things, you know, rabid evangel- evangelists pushing forward these agenda. And if you're younger, you can look at it from a less partial point of view. I've mm-hmm. noticed that with people my age as we look back at these things and we study them and we read them and we didn't live through them. So you're able to kind of see some of these connections i could be totally i'm sure there are plenty of older people that will listen to this and be like that girl needs to shut up (laughs) but i think that the people that were in that moderate front that could work together i don't ever think they were what was driving the gop at the core of some of these people like you know the john mccain's the people that liberals love to prop up those are gone those aren't going to be a part of the gop anymore they aren't going to lend their legitimacy because that's what they were there for. They were lending legitimacy to the party. And now that's gone. And if you're staying in that party and saying, you know, I want to be one of the sane ones, it doesn't matter. That's gone. You don't have to identify with the party. But if you are standing with the Republican Party with some faraway hope that it will one day come back together, that's not going to happen. And you're helping them more than you would like mm-hmm. to. I think there's a big measure of truth to what you're saying. You're 100% right. I used to watch like Ralph Reed, the evangelical, and just think like, this guy is Satan with a smile. But the difference is, it's like the movie cartoon where the, the dog runs into the pound and opens all the cages and lets all the other dogs out, right? That's what Trump yeah. did. He's the dog that let all the other racist, exactly. dumbass dogs out. And They're emboldened. They're emboldened. That we never had. Like the KKK used to go out into the field at night in the middle of nowhere and burn their crosses. Now they're in the the Tennessee Statehouse. They don't care, right? So that's what's changed, at least with the McCains and the Jack Kemp's and Alan uh, Simpson's. Like just a lot of guys like that, the Mitt Romney's, like inside they may have had certain beliefs and they have used the evangelicals and the Ralph Reeds to get their agenda across and presented themselves at least as being bipartisan. But I also got to say, I wish we could get back to those days when things were just ugly. They weren't insane. That's the difference. Ugly versus insane. Yeah, there's that saying that the Republicans want to bring like the death of society and the Democrats want to be the managers of it. Right. Like they want to organize it. They want to be nice. And a lot of people are talking about how outspoken Gen Z is and we're like not being given a seat at the table because we don't have anything to lose. We didn't even get like a glimpse of pre 9-11 life. Now we're looking at probably not owning a home. You have to have two jobs to have your own apartment. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting and it's really frustrating when people in office are so insistent on decorum, decorum this, decorum that. I don't care about decorum anymore. We have evolved beyond that or maybe devolved beyond that. Mm -hmm. Because until we get back to reinstating like abortion or not wanting to have trans kids kill themselves, we can't play nice. Those are for when you can't respond to these bad faith attacks with a good faith approach. It's really frustrating. Mm -hmm. 
It's so, it's really fascinating what you're saying about Gen Z because I'm 63 and when Obama got elected and even like years into his presidency, I would see him in the Oval Office and I'd be like, is, is he actually president? Growing up, I thought that will never happen. Someone like you who was born in 20 or uh, 2000. 99. Your first awareness of the presidency was a black man. Like it's just a different perspective of race. And I wonder when some people say that young people are they're not active enough or they're just indifferent, it's because they grew up and Obama was their first president. I mean, that's the thing for, especially like on that elder Gen Z scale, which is where I am. I've had um, a little cousin say, you were born in the 1900s and I was like, shut up. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, every single thing has been marred by these giant events. And you know, our first consciousness is like either 9-11 or immediately after 9-11 because we're like three, four, whatever. And then you get, you start to become a person. You start to like have interests. You're going into middle school. All your friends' parents or your parents get laid off at work. Mm-hmm. And then you are graduating high school. You're about to go into the world and you have this disgusting, misogynistic presidential race and Everything is a mess and you have never seen people this charged in your life. And then you graduate from college if you go to college or you're like just able to legally drink and the world shuts down. And it's like, and you care about decorum. But the most important thing we can do in this country is vote. So we've seen, I think, in the last few years, young people have come out and in some cases carried the election. Do you think people of your generation are active enough, vote enough? Because I think somewhere between 55 and 60% of the population votes. What if we can get 75% of Democrats to vote? We could have everything we want. Young people can have everything they want. But why is it so hard to get people, and especially young people, to the polls? I mean, we are coming out like no young generation as before. And there are two things that older people need to do. Because we're sick of watching people that are like 60 years older than us, 70 years in some cases running the country not only do you have to entertain what we want like you need to look at student debt relief you need to address you know crazy high rent prices you need to address healthcare. like there are things that we need that we can't afford you need to look at your younger constituents and not just write them off because we are about to vote in massive numbers because we have more people graduating every single year So you need to do that, but you can't just entertain those. You have to give this generation a seat at the table. It's infuriating watching a panel on television talking about this topic. And everyone is Gen X or older. And you didn't even think to talk to someone who's like, I don't know, 30. If that, you know, it's. They don't know what it's like to grow up with all of this technology and all of this Mix, it's a mix of like wonder and hope, but also fear and powerlessness. Mm-hmm. It feels like everyone before got to have this kind of party, which is not even the case. There are so many populations that like, I mean, the 80s for black people under Reagan, that's like a nightmare. But all the people in power talk about this previous life like it was something amazing and then still want to keep this ideal in their head. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. People don't understand the power that they have, but a lot of people just look backwards 
instead of looking forwards. And they'll whine about the past or what they don't have instead of really thinking about what they could have and what the path is to get there. Michael Moore talks about this all the time where election day, that's the one day of the year where the janitor and the billionaire have the exact same power. But you hear people say, oh, my vote doesn't count. And it's infuriating. And I don't get it. I mean, there are other countries, Canada, other places in the world where they so appreciate their democracy and they turn out and vote in large numbers. And we in this country, we don't. And yet we can. And we do it on a Tuesday, to be fair, in the middle of the workday. Well, now you're raising another issue. Like you have this one party who's trying to make it impossible for people to vote and shamelessly doing it only in the black neighborhoods and taking away the voting boxes. And they're slowly controlling the levers of government, the mechanism of elections. And that's why you have places like Wisconsin, where the electorate is basically 50-50 Democrat, Republican, but the state house, it's like a three to one margin in terms of Republican control, because they carve out through gerrymandering. It's like you have a one party that's evil and one party that's trying to play by the rules. If you're in a gunfight, you got to bring a gun. And I don't know if the Democrats have that ability. But on the other hand, if you do look at the last six or seven years in terms of the major elections, special elections, amendments on choice and abortion, popular vote, like Democrats kind of win everything. They lost the House by a small margin. So Democrats kind of do have the right message. But I don't think they have it with people of your generation. They're antagonizing us. It's really frustrating to hear people talk about like progressives want all this. And it's like, no, I, you know, in every other country, if you look at like our peer countries, our allies, Mm -hmm. our Democrat, Democratic Party is not to the left. Like we're considered crazy because we want health care and like nine months of maternity leave. And that's seen as like extreme here. And that's just a norm overseas. Right. And plus they and have they leaders like us. Macron and Trudeau who are young and, you know, represent the younger generations and a different perspective. America is kind of a backward country in so many ways. I want to jump back to Tucker for a second. Is there ever a moment yes. when you watch him, when you look at him and you go, wait a minute, is there, is there an actual human in there? Like, does he ever have a moment where... You're like, oh my God, I see, I see a light, a ray of light. Or is he just completely to you off the fucking wall these days? It's really weird because he is the only Fox host that like I watch during primetime that doesn't share anything about his personal life. Everything like when he says talks about family, like it's never anything personal. He talks like like an alien that's trying to make an argument about family and then claiming he has one. When he talks about animals, like last night he had a um, nutria, like the little rodent on his show. He likes talking about into animals, but everything else, it's like there's nothing in there. You know, Hannity's dumb, but like he's his mixed martial arts and Laura Ingram talks about her kids and Jesse Waters talks about his kids a lot. Mm. Uh, Tucker doesn't really talk about anything, even on his talk show on Fox's streaming service. You know the expression, somebody sold their soul, but it seems like it applies so much more to him uh, than to a lot of people. I mean, it's funny what you say about him because I've been saying for a long time now that if aliens from another planet wanted to inhabit the Earth and like spy on Earthlings, but they needed 
like human life form to inhabit, it would be the Trump family. Because like with the Trumps, so if you cut them open, like you, you're not going to find like organs and like a heart. You're going to find like when they opened up Jaws, the shark, like you're going to find like old beer cans and like just like yeah. wires that are going the wrong way. Like it's like they're not human. They don't have human emotions. They can't talk about anything. Have you ever seen a Trump talk about anything emotionally? It's like they're not human. And that's kind of what Tucker is like. What is the impact of your, of your videos? Do you feel like you've changed minds or you are you changing minds? Has anyone ever said to you, oh my God, you know, I see what you're saying. I agree. Yeah, there's a bunch of really great responses that have kind of, that really, it was my goal. I have a lot of people that were saying, you know, I wanted to know about this, but I didn't want to watch Fox or I don't have like the mental library to be able to contextualize it. And this was so helpful in that, like it's brief, it's entertaining, it's informative. And I'm like, that's what I wanted. But I also have people who are showing these videos to like their family that's full MAGA and or full Fox brained and telling me, I don't know if it's true, you know, the Internet, you don't know who anyone is, but telling me that like their mom or their dad was like she has some points there mm. and have started to look at other news sources as a possibility because you just need like a, one solid crack in the mask to kind of break through a bit right and um it's really entertaining watching right-wingers say like have to begrudgingly agree when i say some things because they also find shot and hannity cringy but yeah the impact it feels it's nice to know that this is helpful for people i like seeing people quote tweet it or link it to someone as like an explainer mm -hmm. uh because that's the goal that's the goal now, you get a lot of nasty comments. You've gotten rape and threats. Why do you do what you do? I read a quote where you said, the anger propels you. I feel like I'm doing something in a world where it is so easy to feel like you're not doing anything. And that's true. But are you afraid based on some of the stuff you get? Or do you just write it off to right-wing yo-yos? I mean, it shows I'm doing something right. If they're so triggered that they have to send me a detailed threat about how they would rape me and like if i ever saw them in public they would be cowering all of these people are cowards i've seen people explicitly talk in like my quote tweets about attempting to sexualize me to intimidate me and in that case it's just like you're telling on yourselves if this is bothering you so much that you have to respond and you're trying to intimidate me it says so much more about them and my work than it does about anything else. But there's also the hypocrisy of all these people. You know, we talked about evangelicals, and maybe this is just a narrow way of thinking, but I've always felt that these white right-wing freaks who are the loudest antagonists about trans and gay marriage, that these are the guys that can't wait for their wives to go to sleep so they can go in the basement and beat off to Harry Styles videos. You know what I mean? How dangerous is Fox today? It's, you know, my coworkers, they talk about this a lot. The old Fox, like when Roger Ailes was there, was meant to prop up the GOP. Now, without Ailes, it's gone the other way. Now you have GOP members of Congress saying bonkers stuff online in front of a camera on the floor so they can have five minutes on Tucker. 
And that's where I think the real danger lies because it is the most watched cable news channel in the country. And it trickles down because if you don't if you don't watch Fox, but like you have a Facebook, you've probably seen someone that, you know, push a Fox live without knowing where it came from. So that's one part of the danger is to its viewers and to the conservative media that it influences. But the other thing is just how much it influences legislation and elections. Mm. You know, CRT, this transphobia, even in the midterms, when like all the anti-trans rhetoric, that's basically what the GOP ran on. Basically, they ran on Tucker's monologues. Tucker had a monologue one time where he said, if you are running for office, this is what you should run on. And it didn't play out like they wanted it to. And they're doubling down at Fox because that's what they care about. Fox is more important. And this year, when McCarthy was trying to become speaker, you know, 15 times, Tucker listed his demands for McCarthy to get the votes. And McCarthy granted both of them. It was to get the January 6th tapes. And then he said, this was on the Tuesday of that week, he said to give Thomas Massey a Frank Church-style committee. Kevin McCarthy's voted in. Massey comes on the show on Friday to thank Tucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cable no, it, news house is running the country. We're coming to our close here. And I just want to ask you like one more thing, which is kind of macro. How does someone of your generation, I mean, as a woman, you have less reproductive rights than women did 50 years ago. Someone your age or just a few years younger and are in school worry about getting massacred when they go to school. The racism. I remember the... sitting under desks because we had an hour long lockdown and expecting that, you know, you might have to fight and you're like 13. And then, you know, like in Tennessee, the white robes and the white hoods came off and they just did their thing in public and they didn't care. And it was on CNN. Let's keep the white lady and get rid of the two young black guys. You see the fealty to Trump as a authoritarian. How does someone of your generation look ahead and stay positive when it's so easy to just go, shit, why don't I just fucking move to pick your country you know well that's expensive first off <laughs> <laughs> but also what do we have to lose the alternative to just sitting there is to let all of this take control what do we have to lose seriously an apartment maybe we get some other politicians in there but we also flip a state blue right we might have another state push some anti-trans uh, anti-trans legislation, but then another state will put up a shield law. If you don't do anything, that's what the other side wants. That's what fascists want. That's what hard right people want. They want you to do nothing. They want you demoralized. And I think that it's better to have to care about something than care about nothing. It's really important that people like yourself and David Hogg and Harry Stisson, I think his name is, there's a matter of what's coming at them. They are going to fight. They have made change. You look at Florida and after the Parkland shooting and David Hogg and, and the Parkland victims, and I know Fred Gutenberg very well, like they changed the laws down in Florida just because they got busy. It must be so hard for young people today to get busy because the headwinds are like never before. And it requires almost like superhuman drive and tenacity and strength to just keep going forwards. I think people like you are so impressive and it's so admirable and it's inspiring what you're doing. And I hope you keep reaching people and changing minds. We, we have to change this landscape somehow. And your generation is so integral but in terms of being a part of that change. So it was Thank awesome so to talk with you. I, I literally could 
talk to you for hours about so this many is so things. fun. Yeah, no, I hope you'll come back and uh, we can continue the conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. That's episode 62. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446, email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. Those things are very helpful. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Next Gen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Kat Abugazale. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.